I don't know how many times I drove that road, but I do know that the more that I drove it, I could pick out exactly where I was if I saw a tree, if, if I saw a, a hill, if, if I saw a, a ditch, I knew how far I was between my house and school. I was in college. I was driving the Natchez Trace, seemed like multiple times a week to go from the house in Mantee, Mississippi to Jackson. And I don't know if you've ever driven the Trace, but some would say it's the most mundane road because it's just pine tree after stinking pine tree after stinking pine tree. And they're right. But it's also an opportunity to see time and again God's creation. But I drove that road so often from early childhood to and through the first two years of college. It was familiar. It, it, it was so familiar that... If somebody was driving for me, I, I would just close my eyes, maybe even take a nap for a little while. Not while I was driving, but take a nap for a little while, and we'd play the game. All right, where are we? And you would have to pick it between the mile markers just by what was out there. That's how familiar with the road I knew it. He said, Brian, that's all well and good. Why are you telling me a story about 20-plus years ago? Because of what we're looking at today, the sixth out of seven letters to the churches, I want you, I want me, I want us to be so familiar with it. The reason that I chose these chapters and these letters as we are looking at 2017 at the expectant church vision for today and beyond is so that we would become familiar with God's Word, not only just generally speaking, but specifically speaking about these churches. Where have we been? Where, where have we been up to this point? Well, we've seen the careless church. Ephesus was the careless church. They forgot or they left their first love. And we saw that we don't want to be careless. We want to be careful. We want to see the importance. We want to remember the things that we're supposed to be focused on, i.e. Jesus, and stay focused there. The careless church. From there we went to Smyrna. Smyrna is just like Philadelphia. There was nothing negative spoken about Smyrna, but there was persecution coming, and they were the persecuted church. We saw that not only were they the persecuted church, but they became the persistent church. They were there time and again, day after day after day, even in hardships and in struggles and in persecution, even death. They were that. If we're expecting God to move, we must be reminded of that. Then there were a couple of letters that were written to Pergamum and that of Thyatira. Pergamum was the... Uh, compromising church. We want them to see and we want 
to be able to see that not only were they the compromising church, but what we are to get from that is that we are to be a consistent church. And then Thyatira was corrupted. They were corrupted, but they needed to be corrected. And that's what happens when you and I come under the discipline of God. Finally, last week, we saw that of Sardis. And in Sardis, they were the broken church. They were broken for all the wrong reasons. And I pray that you and I would be broken as well. Not the reason that they were broken, but we would be broken in front of Almighty God. We would be broken, humbled. And so we see this morning the church at Philadelphia. The church at Philadelphia. Two truths this morning that I want you and I want us to see are these. First, I want us to look at the highlights of the letter, and then second, I want us to see application and action steps for today. So let's look at the highlights of this letter. Let me read the letter for us this morning, and as I read it, I want you to think about something, because we're going to come back to it. It'd be better if you've already got your gray matter going. And uh, you're thinking about it. The first is this, because we're going to look at action steps, and we're going to see the action steps that Jesus said that he was going to make. We're going to see the action steps that we, the church, are to be about and to be making. So I want you to think about that as I read it. And also, I just want you to see the, the setting, because we're going to talk about the town, Philadelphia. We're going to talk about Jesus, and we're going to talk about the church as we walk through these highlights. So let me read for us Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, down through verse number 13, the church at Philadelphia. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word. You have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast. Hold fast what you have, what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God 
and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven. In my own name, my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a letter. Heavenly Father, what a letter that you penned to a local body. Father, that you wrote to men and women who loved you. Father, who were willing to die for you. Father, I pray that as we uh, look at it, you would speak. You would speak to our hearts this morning. God, that you would be magnified and glorified from this stage, from your word, and it would ring in our hearts in such a way that we would see you. God, we would be changed. Father, I can't come in contact with you without changing. Father, we, your creation, cannot come in contact with our Creator without changing. And God, I ask that that would be the case over these few moments. God, as we see these truths, as we see the highlights and we set out some action steps, some application, God, would you speak? For you are alive. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your son. We ask it in his name. Amen. Let's look at the highlights. Kind of like the cliff notes. Maybe you want to check out after that. Hopefully not, but here are the highlights. First, we see the town. What was the town? The town was Philadelphia. The town was a, uh, a city of, of trade. It was on the, uh, the Roman road, the great empirical Roman road, and trade went through it. It was all around it. There were great roads. It was some 28 miles southeast of Sardis. If you're looking at that oval on the map of Asia Minor, it was almost the farthest east of the seven cities that were written. It wasn't the smallest of the seven cities. Really didn't have any issues except one. Man, when those things happened, it was scary. The issues were earthquakes. In A.D. 17, an earthquake came through and just leveled the whole city. Rome rebuilt the city immediately. A.D. 37, another set of earthquakes come through, shaking the ground. It was established on four or five hills with agricultural fields all around. Philadelphia was known in the region as a great city, as a trade city, as an agricultural city. And that is the city where we find believers living, believers loving, believers testifying of this great King. second highlight is not just the city itself, but we see Jesus. 
You see how Jesus introduces himself to his church there in verse number 7. He says, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. What an introduction. The words of the Holy One. Jesus speaks of his deity to this church. They're the ones who are worshiping him. They are the ones who have surrendered their lives to him. And he says to them, I'm that guy. I'm the one. I am the true one. I am the holy one. Reminds me of what Peter recorded in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. He says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. What does it mean to be holy? When Jesus says, I'm the holy one, what is he talking about? I mean, in Isaiah chapter 6, we see the angels around the throne. And then later on in Revelation, you see the angels around the throne. And they are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. What does it mean to be holy? What's Jesus trying to get across to Philadelphia? And what's he trying to get across to us when he says, I'm the holy one? He says, I'm the one that was set apart for the specific purpose that God called me to. I'm the one that before the foundation of the world, but before Adam and Eve were created, before the um, Himalayan mountain ranges were brought up, before the sea was hollowed out, I'm the one who was set apart to go to the cross because of a sinner named Brian Tillman. Because of sinners that are seated in these black chairs. I'm the one who was set apart for this specific purpose. That's what it means to be holy. To be set apart for a purpose. And when we mean it, when we mean it spiritually, or when we mean it as Jesus, they are pure. They are set apart. He is set apart, pure, perfect, without any stain, without any sin. And He says, I'm that one. I'm the true one. Reminds me of John chapter 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Hey, Philadelphia, you can follow me. If you got questions, I'm the holy one. I'm the one that's set apart for this purpose. I'm the true one. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to take you down a, a dead-end road. I'm not going to take you up, up against the edge of all this trouble and trial without being right there with you and without keeping you in it and from it as we see in just a moment a couple of verses later but then what in the world's he talking about when he says who has the key of david i don't know maybe some of you got up this morning and you were up about 4 30 5 o'clock in the morning and you were reading very intensely through Isaiah. And when you came to Isaiah chapter 22, you just had this epiphany, and there was this moment. Oh, I know exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about the key of David. Yeah, that's what was happening in Isaiah chapter 22, verses 22 through 25. Well, if you didn't, let me just key you into it, okay? Pun intended. In Isaiah chapter 22, there was this problem. A whole generation was going against God, and God was bringing 
the Assyrians. He was bringing the Assyrians to discipline his children because they had forgotten him. He was bringing the Assyrians to come in and conquer them, and they, the Israelites, were doing exactly what God did not want them to do. And so in Isaiah chapter 22, he uses Isaiah to call out the children of Israel. And he says, hey, that guy that's in charge, that has the key of David, that's got the authority to open some doors, who has made a pact with Egypt, instead of bowing down before me, instead of coming back, confessing and repenting and leading you back to me, he has gone south to make a pact with Egypt. He's out of the way, and I'm going to set Eliakim in his place. And I'm going to give him the keys of David. What Jesus is saying to the church at Philadelphia, what he's saying to you and to me here is this. I'm the guy who's got authority. All authority on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm that guy. I can open any door that you need opening. I can shut any door and keep it shut that you need shut. I've got the keys right here. If you were to hear that being read, if you were to hear that finding yourself where Philadelphia found themselves, there's a synagogue of Satan in their town. There's a synagogue of Satan who are bringing all kinds of threats their way. And Jesus says, I'm the one who can open doors that nobody can shut, and I'm the one who can shut doors that nobody can open. Wouldn't you like that? So we see Jesus, and the third highlight is the church. And Jesus says to the church what I just stated multiple times, that I'm the one who can open doors that are shut, and I'm the one who can shut doors that are open. And let's just talk about some open and shut doors for just a moment for the church, and possibly that you find in your life as well. You know, I... I don't necessarily believe in coincidence. Case in point this morning, I seldom if ever, seldom if ever read a devotional, but I read one this morning, and I can't remember the last time that I read this devotional, but uh, I was just in my Bible study software in uh, Logos, and I said, I I'm going to pull up this morning's devotional for the book is is titled morning and evening charles haddon spurgeon wrote this let's read it it says this when the scale of trial is nearly empty you'll always find the scale of consolation in nearly the same condition let's stop right there for a second he says, whenever there's not very many trials, there's not a lot of consolation in the bucket. If we got a bucket of trials and we got a bucket of consolation of mercy or grace, we could return it. If trials are low, then guess what? That grace and that mercy is going to be low. About the same level. 
same condition. And when the scale of trials is full, you will find the scale, that that balancing act of consolation, just as heavy. When the black clouds gather most, the light is more brightly revealed to us. He goes on and he says, when the night lowers and the tempest is coming on, the heavenly captain is always closest to his crew. It is a blessed thing. That when we are most cast down, when we've got the most trouble, when the doors in front of us are the just right there in front, and they are shut tight, when it is that, we are most lifted up by the consolations of the Spirit. He closes out this section with these words. One reason. Why is that the case? Why is it the case that when there's trials, there's a lot of grace and mercy from God as well? Why is it the case when when you're going through the hardships that God is ever close? He says one reason is because trials make more room for consolation. Isn't that the case? Great hearts, Spurgeon closes, can only be made by great trouble. Adrian Rogers told me once, he said, God can only use you greatly. Or the ones that God uses greatly are the ones that hurt greatly. And how true is that? How true is it that these shut doors that Philadelphia, the church at Philadelphia, found themselves amongst coming up against every single moment, every single day. God just wants to say, hey, yeah, there might be some shut doors. And I'm standing here looking at a number of people who find in front of them shut doors on occasion. We'll talk about those in just a moment. He said, you and I need to also understand, church, we need to understand that I am the one I know, speaking about the church, Jesus says, I know that you have but little power. Present day terms, I know you're puny. I know you're weak. I know you hadn't been at the, uh, at the weight bench lifting weights. I know that. I can see that. I see exactly who you are spiritually. But I also know that you've kept my word. I also know that you have not denied my name. So remain there. And the church was doing exactly that. Be encouraged, River Bend. Be encouraged, sir, ma'am. Knowing that, yeah, there may be some shut doors. Yeah, there may be some hard times. But what you and I need to understand is that he's right there with us. The highlights continue with this church. And let me just draw them out toward the end of the letter. He says, hold fast. Verse number 11, I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have. So that no one may seize your Stephanos. No one may seize your victor's crown. You have it. Hold fast to it. The one who conquers... I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and never shall he go out of it. 
I've given you a crown. It's a victor's crown. Who won the crown? He won it. He gave it to you as you bowed the knee, as you confessed your mouth that He is Savior and Lord Jesus gave you the victor's crown. The Stephanos is the term. And then he says, hey church, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God and never will you go out of it. And then he writes something kind of funny. He says, I'm going to write on you three names. Now, one might think that he's going to write God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the the Trinity. He's going to write that, but he doesn't say that. He says, I'm going to write on you the name of my God. Jesus saying to his church, Jesus saying to you and me, I'm going to write on you the name of my God. What does that mean? That's just a reminder for you that you've been bought with a price. You're no longer yours. If you've accepted Christ as Savior and Lord, you're no longer yours. It's not about you anymore. Actually, it never was about you. You and I just like to think that it is sometimes, but it never is about you. God says you're mine. And just so you can know that, I'm going to put my name on you. And then he says, I'm going to put the name of the city, the holy city who's coming down out of heaven for you. I'm going to put the new Jerusalem on you. Wow. If you look over at the end of Revelation, you see this new city described. Take the United States or take North American map, not just the United States, but take the, the map of North America, especially the United States and Mexico, and you picture that, you go to Google and you bring that up, If you go from New York City out to the middle of Montana, go down to Mexico City and go across over to Miami, Florida, and go back up to New York City, that is the base floor of this city. The base floor. And then it goes 1,500 miles straight up into outer space. That's the city that is coming out of heaven to you. That is your new home. Forever and ever and ever. And he says, I'm going to write that city on you. And then finally, he says, let me talk about your name. You want to talk about names that I'm going to write down on you? I'm going to write my new name. What's his new name? I guess you have to wait till you see it on you. It's a new name. Well, is it Jesus It's a new name. Is it Lord? Is it Savior? It's a new name. He's going to write that new name on you. And he closes out for the church. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Second truth this morning. We see the highlights. What does that mean for for you. What's that mean for for Tuesday afternoon this week? What's that mean for for a math class this coming Thursday, kids, at school? What's that mean when when you sit with your accountant possibly for your taxes or you sit across the table from your soulmate who is 
stating words that he or she can barely bring up in their vocabulary of hardship or maybe even of deserting you. What does that mean? As life is hard. It was hard for those that were in the city of Philadelphia. And you and I would be lying if we wouldn't say that it was hard in northwest Mississippi. Tim Keller wrote these words. He said, uh, talking about shut doors and closed doors, you didn't choose your gender. You didn't choose your chromosomes. You didn't choose your level of intelligence, although you think you might have. You didn't choose your racial background. You, you didn't choose the year that you were going to graduate from college. You didn't choose the economic climate that you were going to come into. You didn't choose your family life. You didn't choose your talents. Some people can argue. Some people argue. They, they argue, are your talents and abilities really the product of nurture or nature? It doesn't really matter. In, in either case, they came to you. He finishes it out and says, they were opened for you. Is that the end of it? Can't you tell I knew that that was the end of it? What's he mean, church? I don't get it so often now, but I used to get it a lot. My first two pastorates, I pastored a, uh, a lot of people who were older than me. And they would come up to me as I would get to know them. They would get to know me and they said, man, you are young. I mean, you are young. You, you look like a little baby. And here would be my response time and time again. I mean, no lie, probably 60, 100 times when I would go and introduce myself in both of these places, they would say something along that nature. And I said, I would say this. You know what? I didn't choose when my mom and daddy had me. I didn't. They just had me. They had me at August the 16th, 1973. I couldn't make it a day earlier or a day later. I could not choose that. What's Keller trying to get across to you and me about open and shut doors? What's he trying to get across to us as, as life? Here's what he's trying to get across. Yep, your life might stink. Yep, your background might stink. Yep, the condition that you find yourself in health-wise right now or in six months or in six years, yeah, it might stink. But you and I need to understand this. You didn't choose it. There's no way for you to change it. The same person who has brought you all these trials, all this trouble, the same person who is over everything, who is sovereign and king, and who says, hey, this is when you're going to finish college. 
This is the job that you're going to have. Yep, you can think that that's a greener pasture over there, but this is where I have you, sir. This is where I have you, ma'am. The same one who has done that says, I'm going to bring every opportunity that I have for you right in front of you that you can't miss it. You're not going to miss it. You're not going to miss an open door because I have the key to open that door. You're going to try to shut that door. You're going to try to open a shut door, but I've got the key. You can't get it open or you can't shut it. So if that's the case, Philadelphia, if that's the case, River Bend, if that's the case, ma'am, sir, if that's the case for you and me, Jesus said, why don't you, Brian Tillman, I'm not going to preach to you all, I'm going to preach to me. Why don't you, Brian Tillman, just follow me? Why don't you just trust me, Brian Tillman? You trust me with eternity? Why don't you just trust me with Tuesday? Hey, Brian, why don't you just get in line and follow me? Because here's what I'll do. I'll write a new name on you. Here's what I'll do. I'll set you and make you a pillar in the temple of Almighty God and you'll never leave it. Here's what I'll do. I'll do all these things. If you will just hold fast, if you'll just remain, and if you'll just trust me. Oh, church. Do you see all those things that he says he's going to do? What are the action steps for you? What are the action steps for me? They're, very, they're for us, very simple. Because he knew he was talking to a thick skulled person like me. Okay? Very simple. Here they are. Hold fast to what you got. Remain. And hear when I'm talking to you. Hold fast. I've read it multiple times this week. I mean, over and over and over again. What did the church, what were the action steps or the application for Philadelphia? It was very simple. Hold fast, meaning remain right there where you are. And when I'm talking, here. And then what did he say he would do? There's 10. There's 10 action steps that Jesus says he is doing or will do for you. Let me just read them out for us. Verse 8, I know I have set before you an open door. I know. I know you've got little power. Verse 8, verse 9, I will make those in this synagogue of Satan who say they're Jews but they're lying, I will make that happen. I will make them come and bow down before your feet. I have loved you. They will know that. An action that he has done. Verse 10, I will keep you from the hour of trial. What is he talking about? I, I believe that he's talking about that final act of judgment that's coming on all the earth that he's going to bring about. I believe that that final act, he says, you know what, I'm going to keep you from that. Why is he going to keep them from that? Because he's already paid the price for their sin. He's already covered all their sin with his blood. They've accepted him. He says, I'm going to keep you from that. I am coming soon. I will make him a pillar. I will write on him all these things. Jesus says, here are the action steps for me. The action steps for me are many. Church, this is a, this is a letter of encouragement. This past week, I, 
right at the end of the week, actually, I uh, put a video together for our Connect leaders. And as I was describing this letter to them and getting some, some points for them to bring out in their Connect, I said this. Here's the action step. The action step for Connect this week is this. I want you, I want all the Connect to come up with five ministry opportunities that you have. Five ministry opportunities that you see around you. I want you to talk about them. I want you to think about them. And I want you to act on one of those. Make that your ministry opportunity for the month. Church, there are ministry opportunities in front of us that we're not taking because we're not seeing them or we're just passing by them. Jesus said to the church at Philadelphia, and I believe it is so much like our church and maybe even the church of our day and our culture is this. There are opportunities there. What are they? And take them. What are they? And take them. Because he is the one who has the keys and can shut those doors. He doesn't say that that door is going to be open forever. He says, no, I've got an open door in front of you for ministry. Why don't you, Philadelphia, take it? A great thing about the city of Philadelphia, there were threats coming, but there was no persecution as of yet. They were puny. They were of the, the lower class. Yes, the church was at that time, but there was an opportunity for them to change the city. There's an opportunity for you and me to change the city. The city which you live in. The city which you work in. The city all around you and me. There are opportunities after opportunities, and might you and I see them, and might you and I take those opportunities. Heavenly Father, what a message, a message for action today, action for a church, action for individuals, God you have, you have encapsulated us before you in you are before us, behind us, below us, around us, above us. You are, you are all over us. God, I'm so thankful for your servant David who wrote that you are my shepherd, I shall not want. You, you, you have food, shelter, all the needs that an individual needed you've already provided Father might might I remember that personally today Father might I be reminded that that shut door God the shut door that's in front of me that I'm looking at, that I so want to open. God, you're not, you're not trying to hold something back from me or from me. 
Father, might it, it might be that you're protecting me from something. But even more than that, Lord, it is you, my Creator. God, you have created me for a specific place, purpose, and time. And God, I can't, I can't get out of that. We can't get out from under that. So God, whatever you have for us at the job site this week, might we not back away from it? Might I not shy away from hard conversations and situations? But Father, might I be salt and light for your name? Whatever the conversation that goes on at the house, might it be about how great you are because that's why you have us there. Father, for every one of our kids, may they, may they not be so insulated and so set off that they don't see a world. But Father, might they see it through the lens and the eyes of You because You are right there with them in the midst of some trials coming, in the midst of some hardship and some shut doors. God, there's also grace. There's also favor. And may we show that to our kids. May we show that to friends and family. God, would you move this morning, move in my heart, move in our hearts in such a way that we would leave changed because we've seen you. We've seen what you desire to do in us. God, challenge, encourage us for ministry in future days. Church, the invitation is for us. Church, the invitation is for you and for me to see the opportunities that are in front of us and to walk there. So as we stand and as we sing, ask God to show you what those opportunities are and that we would obey. Let's stand and let's sing this morning.